Section 15 of The White Wolf and Other Fireside Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The White Wolf and Other Fireside Tales by Sir Arthur Thomas Quiller Couch. Parson Jack's Fortune, Part 4 parson jack walked home with a volume of gilbert's survey and another of the parochial history of cornwall under his arm and parker's glossary in his skirt pocket he began that evening with the parochial history article langona and smoked his pipe over it until midnight in a sort of rapture it would be hard to analyze in fact no doubt it was made up of that childish delight which most men feel on reading in print what they know perfectly well already the eastern end of the north aisle is used as a vestry and the eastern end of the south aisle is impropriated to the church warden's use yes that was right and the inscription on the one marble tablet was correctly given and the legend over the south porch ego sum janua per me qui intrabit servabitur but the delight of recognition was mixed with that of discovery the lower part of the tower was early english the upper perpendicular a pause here and a reference to parker the nave too perpendicular ah then it could only have been the upper part the belfry which fell in and destroyed the nave what was the date fourteen twelve and they both had been rebuilt together on the call of edmund stafford bishop of exeter in the august of that year he read on the familiar at each step opening new bypaths into the unguessed but the delight of delights was to hug while he read his purpose to change all this story of ruin to give it a new and happier chapter to stand out eminent among the forgotten vicars of langona the book slid from his knee to the floor with a crash he picked it up carefully turned down the lamp laughed to himself and went off to bed shivering but happy he awoke to fresh daydreams daydreams filled the next week with visions of the church in all its destined beauty to be sure they were extravagant enough fantasies in which flying buttresses and flamboyant traceries waltzed around solid norman and rigid perpendicular nightmares of undigested parker but they kept parson jack happy he had not forgotten to answer messrs cudmore's letter thanking them for their information and adding that he proposed to pay a visit to plymouth and would call upon major bromham with that gentleman's leave and discuss the legacy they replied that their client was just then in the north of devon on a shooting party but would return to plymouth by an afternoon train on the following wednesday and grant mr flood an interview the tone of this letter as of the previous one was unmistakably cold but parson jack read nothing more in it than professional formality on the wednesday however when he reached plymouth he presented himself at messrs cudmore's office and was admitted to see the head of the firm the manner of his reception began to puzzle him mr uh flood 
began Mr. Cudmore Sr. with the faintest possible bow. Our client, Major Bromham, is not returning until late this afternoon by the 440 train. In fact, I myself dictated the letter in reply to yours and fancied I had made it explicit. Oh, quite. I called merely in the hope that you would give me some further information about my brother's will, since apart from this legacy I know nothing. You must excuse me, but I prefer to leave that to the Major. In any case, the will is to be proved without delay, and may then, as you know, be inspected for a shilling. Parson Jack, guileless man that he was, had a way of putting a straight question. I want to know, said he quietly, why on earth you are treating me like this. My dear sir, began the lawyer, but Parson Jack cut him short. I, for my part, will be plain with you. I asked to see the will simply because I know nothing of my brother's property, and wish to see how his wife and children are provided for. There is nothing extraordinary in that, surely. Hmm, the lawyer pondered, eyeing him. Clearly, there was something in this shabbily dressed clergyman which countered his expectations. The person who could best satisfy you on this point would be Mrs. Flood herself. But I take it you have no desire to see her personally? Mrs. Flood, you mean my brother's wife? Certainly. But, but is she here in Plymouth? Parson Jack's eyes opened wide. I presume so. Ho Terrace, she informs me, has been her address for these eight years. But of course you are aware. Aware, sir, I am aware of nothing. Least of all am I aware of any reason why I should not call upon her. Ho Terrace, did you say? What number? Thirty-four. You will bear in mind that I have not advised. Oh, dear me, no, you have advised nothing. Good morning, Mr. Cudmore. And Parson Jack, fuming, found himself in the street. He filled and lit his pipe to soothe his humor, but he forgot that the clergy of Plymouth do not as a rule smoke clay pipes in the public streets, and the attention he excited puzzled and angered him yet further. He set it down to his threadbare coat and rustic boots. It was in no sweet mood that he strode up whole terrace, eyeing the numbers above the doors, and halted at length to knock out his pipe before a house with an unpainted area railing to which a small boy in ragged knickerbockers was engaged in attaching with a string the tail of a protesting puppy. "'I shouldn't do that if I were you,' said Parson Jack, wrapping the bowl of his pipe against his boot-heel. "'I don't suppose you would,' retorted the small boy. "'But then there's some parsons wouldn't smoke a clay.' Before Parson Jack could discover a repartee, the door opened and a young man with a weak chin and bright yellow boots came out laughing followed by a good-looking girl who turned on the step to close the door behind her although in black she was outrageously overdressed an enormous black feather nodded above her picture hat and with one hand she held up her skirt revealing a white embroidered petticoat deplorably stained with mud in the act of turning she caught sight of the small boy and at once began to rate him haven't i told you fifty times to let that dog alone Go indoors this instant and get yourself cleaned. For my part, I don't know what Tillotson means letting you out of school so early. I haven't been to school, the boy announced, catching at a dirty sheet of newspaper which fluttered against the railing, and nonchalantly folding it into a cocked hat. 
your mumps have been all right for a week there's not the slightest risk of infection and you know it you don't tell me you've persuaded mother i haven't said a word to her the boy interrupted it isn't mumps it's these breeches if you can't find time to darn em i'm not going to school till somebody can the young man tittered and the girl with a toss of her head and a glance at parson jack who was pretending to tie his bootlace accepted defeat where did you pick up that puppy asked parson jack after watching the pair up the street what's that to you nothing at all only i'm a judge of wire-haired terriers and he has a touch of breed somewhere well if you won't answer that question i'll try you with another is that gertrude or ada he nodded up the street that's ada gertrude is indoors trimming a hat you seem to know a heap about us not much but i'm going to call and find out more if i can you're richard i suppose dick for short ring the bell if you like and i'll run around and open the door only don't say i didn't warn you this sounded like an absurd echo of the lawyer and set parson jack smiling we don't subscribe to anything or take any truck in parsons and the slavey has a whitlow on her finger and mother's having fits over the cooking but come in if you want to thank you i will while parson jack ascended to the front door and rang at the bell dick skipped down the area steps and presently opened to him with a mock start of surprise beg your pardon said he but i took you for the rates or the broker's man he winked as he ushered in the visitor the running click of a sewing machine sounded above stairs and up from the basement floated an aroma of fried onions and filled the passage first turning to the right admonished the boy and stepping past him to the head of the basement stairs called down mother i say mother here's a gentleman to see you then came the answer tell gertie to step down and find out what he wants i'm busy parson jack discreetly shut the door and fell to studying the not over clean drawing-room which was tricked out with muslin draperies cheap japanese fans photographs mostly of officers in the uniform of the royal marines and such artistic trifles as painted tambourines sabots drain pipes and milking stools in one wicker chair the wicker daubed with royal red enamel lay a banjo in another was curled a sleeping terrier indubitably the mother of the puppy outside near the door stood a piano with a comic opera score on the music rest open at number twelve i'm a cheery fusilieri oh and on its rosewood top an ashtray full of cigarette ends and a shaded lamp the base of which needed wiping the terrier awoke yawned and was waddling down from its couch to make friends when master dick returned mother wants to know who you are and what's your business gertie wouldn't come down when she heard you weren't jack phillips then tell your mother that i am your uncle john flood that will satisfy her perhaps we oui, you dick took him in from top to toe in a long incredulous stare but turned and went without another word it may have been five minutes before the door opened and mrs flood entered with an air nicely balanced between curiosity hauteur and injured innocence a shabby genteel woman in a widow's cap and a black cashmere gown 
which had been too near the frying pan good morning mrs flood bowed stiffly not to say stonily folded her wrists accurately in front of her over her waistband and waited i am john flood you know poor lionel's brother i have just come from cudmore and cudmore's the solicitors to talk with you if i may about this will it seems that i have a legacy but beyond this i know nothing and indeed until messrs cudmore wrote i wasn't even aware of an illness mrs flood's eyes seemed to answer if such a thing could be said in a ladylike way that he might tell that to the marines but without relenting their hostility she took occasion to mop them it was a cruel will she murmured my husband and i had differences in fact we have lived apart for many years still she broke off you know of course that he went wrong took to living with natives and adopted their horrible ways in the end i believe he turned hindu god bless my soul but he used to write regularly up to the end no doubt the two words were full of spiteful meaning though what that meaning was parson jack could not guess his letters gave no hint of this again mrs flood's bitter smile gave him politely the lie he drank too she went on after a cold pause i had always supposed it was the one thing those natives didn't do we thought of contesting the will on the ground of undue influence and his mind being gone did lionel leave them much then them she queried his friends over there the natives he left nothing but this legacy of five thousand pounds and the residue in equal shares to his poor family here her handkerchief came into play again only as it turns out there isn't any residue scarcely a penny more when all is realized except the pension of course unmasking her batteries with sudden spite she added even between you i couldn't be robbed of that parson jack controlled himself he was genuinely sorry for the woman but either cheek showed a red spot and his voice shook a little as he answered this is a trifle gratuitous then your talk about undue influence the proof of the pudding is in the eating replied mrs flood with a small and vicious titter not because she believed him to be guilty or that it would do any good but simply because her instinct told her it would hurt that seems to close the discussion parson jack bowed with honest if clumsy dignity i am sorry madam for what you have told me but my regrets had better be expressed to major bromham regrets indeed sniffed mrs flood and these were the last words he ever heard from her a minute later he found himself in the street walking towards the hoe and drawing deep breaths as his lungs felt the sea breeze he had not the least notion of his direction but as he went he muttered to himself and for a parson's his words sounded deplorably like swearing hi hi called the shrill voice behind him he swung right about and found himself frowning down upon master dick how did you like it inquired that youngster panting she's a caution the mater 
but it wasn't a patch on what i've heard her promise to give you if ever she sets eyes on you indeed how do you know pray why i listened at the door of course was the unabashed reply but i don't believe a word of it you know he added reassuringly a word of what that rot about undue influence i thank you did you follow me to tell me this well i dunno yes i guess i did you're a good man i saw that at once though you do smoke a clay pipe thank you again for the reminder parson jack pulled out his clay and filled it so i'm a good man dick nodded i'm not saying anything about the legacy that's hard lines on us of course but i believe you there's no chance of my being a gentleman now like you but with a wry grin i'm not the sort of chap to bear malice they had walked on through the gate leading to the hoe and were in full view now of the splendid panorama of the sound and why shouldn't you be a gentleman asked parson jack halting and cocking down an eye upon this queer urchin well there's a goodish bit against it you'll allow you saw what we're like at home he looked up at parson jack frankly enough but into his speech there crept a strange embarrassment too old for his years i mean you saw enough without my telling you and i mustn't give the show away no to be sure assented parson jack dick you've the makings of a good fellow he added musingly but the boy's eyes had wandered to the broad sheet of water below crikey there she goes he cried and jerked his arm towards an unwieldy battleship nosing her way out of the hammows her low bows tracing a thin line of white for half a minute they stood watching her she's ugly enough in all conscience commented parson jack she's a holy terror but perhaps you don't believe in turrets nor do i to that extent it's tempting providence in what way top hamper said dick shortly but she's a terror all the same what's her name i wonder sakes you don't say you don't know the old devastation why it's fifteen years or so since they launched her at portsmouth and i hear tell she'll have to be reconstructed though even then i guess they won't trust her far at sea she has no speed either for these days oh she's a holy fraud and master dick poured in a broadside of expert criticism as the monster felt her way and slowly headed around the winter buoy into the smeaton press nevertheless you wouldn't object to be on board of her don't the boy's eyes had filled on a sudden you mayn't mean it but it hurts four hours later in the early dusk parson jack stepped into the street after shaking hands with major bromham at the door what is more the major stood bareheaded in the doorway for some moments and stared after him dick had echoed lawyer cudmore once more that day it was now the major's turn to echo dick that's a good man he muttered to himself curiously like his brother too in the days before he went wrong but lionel flood has a soft strake in him and india found it out this parson seems tougher result of hard work and plain living no doubt 
His musings at this point grew involved, and he frowned. Says he knew nothing of Lionel's affairs, offers to show me all the letters to prove it, but this behavior of his is proof enough. Deuced handsome behavior, too. I wonder if he can afford it. Gad, what a pack of falsehoods that woman has poured into me. She always had a gift of circumstantial lying. I believe if Lionel had kept a tight rein on her and shown her the whip now and then. But what's the use of speculating? Anyway, it's rough on the parson, and if I hadn't to consider Dick and the girls. Dusk had given way to gaslight, and Parson Jack still paced the streets, intending but still deferring to find a dinner and a night's lodging. He had shaken hands with Major Bromham in a mood of curious exaltation. He had decided almost without a struggle. To his mind the question was a clear one, of right and wrong, and no argument helped it. Still, a man did not renounce five thousand pounds every day of his life, and when he does, has some right to pat his conscience on the back. He derives some pleasure, too, from picturing the pretty gratitude with which his beneficiaries would hear Major Bromham's message. He did not know Mrs. Flood. But his church. He had forgotten it, or almost forgotten, and the recollection came upon him like a blow. He halted beneath a gas lamp in dismay, not in resentment at the shattering of his dream, for he scarcely thought of himself, not in doubt, for he had done rightly, and his church could not be restored at the expense of right, but in sheer dismay before the blank certainty that now his church must fall. Nothing could save it. He must go home to it, live with it, watch it to the inevitable end. He put out a hand against an iron pillar, and of a sudden felt faint, almost sick and as a matter of fact he'd eaten nothing since his early breakfast a few doors down the street the bright lamp of a tavern the sword and flag caught his eye he tottered in and asked for a glass of brandy it did him good and he called for another some soldiers entering with a girl or two and finding a clergyman seated with his glass in this not over reputable den began to chafe he answered gently and good-naturedly, but with a slight stutter, enough to hint at fun ahead, and they improved upon the hint. By nine o'clock Parson Jack was silly drunk. At eleven, when the premises were closed, the police found him speechless, and the rest of the night he spent in the borough lock-up. Part Five It appeared in the newspapers, of course. Deplorable story. A clergyman fined for drunkenness. Well, this was more than even Sir Harry could stand. I'm sorry for you, Flood, said he, when three days later Parson Jack appeared at Carwithiel to resign his living. But you've taken the only proper course. Otherwise you'd have driven us to an inquiry, sequestration, no end of a scandal. I've had to keep my eyes shut once or twice in the past, as you probably guess. You have shown me all the kindness you could, answered Parson Jack. I won't disgust you with thanks, and there are no excuses. 
he picked up his hat and turned to go well look here don't be in a hurry what about your prospects they're none too healthy i'm afraid still if a few pounds could give you a fresh start somewhere i have no prospects but for the moment i wasn't thinking of myself i was thinking of langona and the old church oh the church is all right clem my nephew has a fad in his head he asked me yesterday for the living in case you resigned i tell him it's folly a youngster oughtn't to play with his chances but he insists that it will do him good to fling up oxford and play parish priest for a year or two he's taken a fancy to your church and wants to restore it he can pay for his whims the money's all in his branch of the family restore it the church restored sir harry looked up sharply for the words came in a whisper of awe almost of terror and looking up he saw parson jack's eyes dilated as a man who stares on a vision but while they stared there grew in them a slow beatific surmise the lord taketh away said parson jack blessed be the name of the lord six weeks later the reverend clement vile was inducted into the living of langona vacant by the resignation of the reverend john flood his first sermon announced that the church was to be restored without delay that plans were even now being prepared by an eminent architect and that as soon as they arrived and were approved tenders would be invited mr vile was in no hurry to take possession of the parsonage indeed bachelor though he was and professed ascetic he decided that to be habitable it needed a wing and a new kitchen at the back for the present he accepted his uncle's invitation to use the hospitality and the library of carwithiel parson jack might give up possession at his own convenience nevertheless he gave it up at once packed his few belongings and hired a bedroom at the widow copping's it appeared that he too needed time to look about him and so he loitered about langona until the architect's plans were received discussed approved and submitted to tender a bristol builder secured the contract the day after it was signed parson jack walked over to carwithiel again and asked leave to speak with mr vial he wore his old working suit i have come to ask a favour sir said he speaking humbly i hear that the contract for the church has been given to miles and company of bristol and i would take it kindly if you recommended me to them as a workman the new vicar was taken by surprise and showed it i have picked up some knowledge of the work in these years parson jack explained timidly and i know the weak points in the old fabric better than most men as for steadiness he wound up i only ask to be given a trial you must discharge me the first time i give cause of complaint what on earth could i say to the man mr vile demanded that evening when he discussed the application with his uncle i hope you accepted said sir harry sharply yes though i fear it was imprudent fiddlestick speak a word for him to miles he won't find a better workman and so parson jack stayed at langona and beheld his best dream take shape though not at his command and yet in part by his fashioning
nay even some measure of that personal pride for which he had once bargained was restored to him during the second year on the day when the contractor who shared the common knowledge of his past but respected his unequalled knowledge of the old fabric and its weakness his gentle ardor in learning and his mild authority among the men appointed him clerk of the works in those days parson jack needed no man's pity for all day long he redeemed a debt and wrought into substance an ambition that yet grew purer as few ambitions do in taking substance and with it he wove another dream which in the intervals of labor would draw him out of the churchyard and hold him at gaze there with his eyes on the wedge of blue sea beyond the coombe from the hour of his fall no strong drink passed his lips his was an almost desperate case but he fought with two strong allies it was as though the old church rallying under his eyes for a new lease of life put new blood into him repaying his love also he had dick's letters upon my word said sir harry to his nephew i've a mind to put flood into the living again when this business is over and you tire of your whim i suppose there's nothing to prevent it there was nothing to prevent it but as a reward it lay outside parson jack's speculation perhaps beyond his desire his reward came to him on the afternoon when having mounted a ladder beside the new east window he looked over his shoulder and saw parson kendall entering the churchyard by the lich gate and ushering in a youngster a mere boy still but splendid in the uniform of a freshly blown naval cadet parson jack can scarcely be said to have risen to the occasion hello dick he said descending the ladder and holding out his hand but the rector standing aside made a better speech though this too was short enough god fulfills himself in many ways said the rector to himself End of section 15